the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 71. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good. I am really, really good. I'm happy to talk to you after our last... um, little podcast uh, snafu. I'm really glad to have power back in my house and to be on the internet, which I really missed when the power went out. So bizarre. <laughs> was it the whole entire day? Was it the whole day? No, it was only for a few hours. So when we were recording, just so our listeners know, we lost, I lost power here in Valley Ford um, and didn't have it for a couple of hours and then couldn't figure out how to get the internet back up. So I was without internet for about five hours. Do you know how dependent I am on the internet? <laughs> I mean, right? Like if our internet goes down, there's like a million things that I do online that like even just writing in a Google Doc, I wanted to write something and I couldn't get in the Google Doc. So yeah, it was, um, it was, uh, it was weird. So uh, thanks for holding down the fort on that one and tidying it oh, up. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Of course it didn't get, I don't obviously think it got recorded, but anyway, we uh, luckily it happened at the end of the interview. Yeah, divine timing for the power to go out. <laughs> we're total professionals, right? Like we're <laughs> professionals now. Um, so I'm hearing noise. I'm hearing some background noise. Are you? Are you? No, good? no. You're good. No, okay. I'm not moving around or anything. I'm just sitting here. Okay. Um, so, how was your week since I talked to you two days ago? <laughs> <laughs> uh good good my son had a birthday I've been writing a lot and that's that's about it I need to read your new piece I wanted to save time with a cup of tea I was kind of running around yesterday so I can't wait to read it oh yeah you know it's in the, it's short they're shorts yeah so I write these little uh vignettes that I've been writing for a couple of years now and I finally just put them all on my on my site in one spot and I came up with a clever title for them. What's the title? Um, What's the title? They are, uh, the title for them all is, uh, vignettes on intoxicating love. Mm. Um, yeah. And, uh, so I wrote a new one and it's about my son. It was really hard to write and, um, took me, about three weeks to write it. Um, and then yesterday before I felt like it was finished, but before I put it up on my site, I wanted to read it to my workshop group. And so I had the opportunity to to do that yesterday. Uh, and I got some really good feedback as always, Mm. um, you know, constructive feedback. They're not all pats on the back, you know, they're not all add a girls. They're, you know, it's just like really constructive feedback. And, um, so yeah. And then I put it up and yeah, they're under 900 words. All of them are. And 
I love writing them, even though they're hard to write. Somebody commented yesterday, and she said, these, these are really hard to read for me. And I mean that in, as a compliment. And, you know, I was thinking about that because, um, you know, I've said before that my writing group is like one of the places I can tell the truth. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was an unconscious th- decision that I made. You know, if I'm going to write these, they have to be the truth or they're just not worth writing. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, they are hard sometimes for me to even reread or, you know, <laughs> to even write. But I, I love your writing. I'm a big fan of your writing. So I'm looking forward to reading it. But when you said it was going to be hard to read, I was like, okay, I want to be in my studio by myself, seated. And take it in, because I take in all of your writing. I really Aww. I really Aww. love your writing style. Um, okay, so uh, I don't think I have much to say in terms no? of promoting yeah. anything. Well, yeah, I mean, when this airs, by the time this airs, I think it's going to be a month out from um, She Recovers. And I'm teaching a gratitude workshop at She Recovers, two different sessions. And um, I just got the notebooks in the mail yesterday. I ordered 150 notebooks. And... Um, and they're in, and I get to stamp them with some artwork that I made and get ready for that. So if you haven't registered for the workshops yet for She Recovers, um, I'm teaching two workshops with Shelly Rickenbach on Saturday, one at 2.30 and one at 3.30. And quite a few of our Unruffleds have told me that they've signed up and they're ready to go. So I'm excited to have them there. Well, that's exciting. And what are the notebooks? Are they just like little journals? Yeah, they're little journals that are like 30 pages, and we're going to talk about creating gratitude or yeah, creating gratitude for your body. And so that's the prompt. And then Shelly's going to help guide the women through a practice. And I'm going to help them with uh, the exercise as well. We're going to do some mind mapping. And it's hard. I write a lot of gratitude lists. I do not focus on my body. I'm always generically grateful for my health. So, um, so yeah, so that's coming up, travel's coming up and, um, we can talk about all that when we do our catch up episode from the summer, but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, should we get into it? Should we introduce our guests? Yes. Okay. Why not? Let's do it. So, um, our guest today is Sorrel McCord and, uh, Sorrel is a sober mom and wife. She's a native to Ohio, but she spent 18 years living in the Bay area near me. Um, And then she returned to Ohio nearly seven years ago with her daughter and husband. At 44, she went back to school for a second master's degree, during which she stopped drinking and started creating a new life for herself. So cool. Um, This led her back to school again to follow her heart onto a completely new path. She just began a new career at age 48 as a chemical dependency counselor. Sorrel is a quilter, a writer, a gardener, a beginning knitter, and collector of art supplies and books. She is a seeker and lifelong learner. She is also the keeper of family photos, having nearly 20,000 photographs saved, as well as cards, stories, and other ephemera of family history, which I am completely intrigued by this little (laughs) factoid. can't wait to talk about it. She has... She has a shelf full, nearly, of 30 journals that she's been keeping since the age of 11. She lives near Cincinnati, Ohio, with her husband, whom she owns a graphic art and screen printing business, and her 18-year-old daughter, Jessica, and her two dogs, Pepper and Nutella. 
Welcome, well, Sorrel. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. I'm very excited to be here. You have so many passions. We cannot wait to dig in with you. That's going to be awesome to talk about. You are a total, total learner, right? Like you, you love it. You love learning new things. I do. I do. Oh, well, so normally how we start off the show, Sorrel, and so just to frame it, I know sometimes it can be a little nerve wracking coming on a podcast, but it's just like us talking. It's just going to be like me and you and Sandra just having a chat. And uh, we're just going to do it so, you know, thousands of people can listen. So no pressure. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Don't worry okay. about that at all. Um, but um, we wanted to, to know to start off the show, like maybe you can tell the listeners like how we came to know one another. Maybe that's a soft way in. Okay. Uh, well, I've been thinking about this and I'm pretty sure it, it was through a um, secret Facebook group and there had been a link to you, Tammy, to your, when you were doing the monthly, um, oh, what do you Ray of lights? Not the ray of lights, before the ray of lights, when you were oh. writing about your high points um, yeah. of your first year, first two years of sobriety. And it was the, the blog post you wrote about gratitude. Mm. And I read that and that kind of changed my whole perspective on a lot of different things on gratitude. So then I started following you on Instagram and I had made some comments and you said, hey, if you want to talk to me, send me an email. And so I remember crafting a tried to be a perfectly worded email. <laughs> I was really nervous about doing that. It was. Um, it was, Sorrel. Okay, good. And then Sandra, I remember hearing on the Since Right Now um, podcast before I even knew who she was, um, before I made any of these connections. So I kind of had that you know, separate and then the whole, the whole thing. So the... It just so then we started emailing um, Tammy and I don't know. And the rest, the rest is rest history. Is history. <laughs> yes, the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I connected um, about the gratitude list because you were telling me I'm I'm right. I write a list every night before I go to bed. Is that right? So I was, do you do it in the evening? I um, or you used well, to do it in the evening? I used to do it in the evening when I was about four months uh, sober. My sponsor said to me, why don't you start writing gratitude? I just felt kind of you know, crummy and didn't know what to do with myself. She says, just write five things every night. And so I started with this teeny tiny little, little book, little journal. And I started writing those five things and then it grew and it grew into more things and more expansive. And that something that I probably haven't missed more than, you know, five days since then. And that's just a cornerstone for me in my recovery and has grown from this teeny little journal to um, an art journal and illustrated gratitude and being part of a gratitude circle and all of that. So that that's a huge piece for me. And what it what it did for me is it really changed my negative thinking into positive thinking. Mm -hmm. um, even on the days when I did not feel like doing gratitude, I had a, a crummy day and I just felt like crap. I would say, okay, at least today I can be grateful for having a roof over my head, having clean water, having toenails. That's the, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, 
one of those things that completely changed kind of the way I think and way I approach life. It really is a mind shift. It's a total, it's a total way to shift your thinking, especially if you do it as a diligent practice, which you are do it as a completely diligent practice. So when we, when, when we first met and um, I think someone left our gratitude circle and I was like, I think Sorrel would be great because you're so diligent. You, you were committed to the practice and I feel like you really ground our entire, our entire um, gratitude circle because you do it every single day and you're in Ohio. So you're a little bit ahead of us here on the, on central California, in central America, but also not central America, Jesus, <laughs> central <laughs> time <laughs> zone. <laughs> And, and me on the West Coast, it's nice. You kind of kick it off. You were kind of this foundation for our group. You or Caitlin in Germany, you guys really, you know, you kind of kick them off. And I really appreciated that. Um, oh, yeah. So thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Yeah, it's a really important thing to me. And if I don't, there's some days where I'm like, oh, I'm really tired. I don't think, no, you have to do it. <laughs> it's just, it's what you do. Yeah. So. Wasn't um, it Marianne Williamson who said that miracles are just a shift in perception. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what, well, that's what writing a gratitude list does for me. It turns things like ordinary things into miracles because it shifts your perception. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. I like that. Um, so, so I'm hearing a little bit of weird noise. Just, you know, we're, we're, is there anything going on? Or are you moving things? Just FYI. No, I'm just, okay. I'm just, let me turn this up a little bit, maybe. Hmm. I'm just making I don't sure. Know. You're fine. Okay, we'll we'll roll okay. with it. I just was wanted to ask if okay. we got too far into the interview. Okay. Um. Okay. So so then, I mean, what our listeners are probably intrigued with and why they listen to this show is, um, we wanted to know a little bit how. I mean, they listen to it for me and you, Sandra. I'm sure. <laughs> Of course, but, of course. <laughs> so, all of our little pearls of whatever wisdom. Our we weekly have. wisdom. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's funny. Um, so, but yeah, inquiring minds are going to want to know. Um, you you just celebrated three years on June twenty second. Is that right? That's right. Okay, so you're three years of sobriety. Um, but how how did you come to the decision um, to quit drinking, and and what did that look like for you? Like, how did you get there? Okay. Well, I'll try to give like a brief a brief history um, right. of my you know, drinking life that started off what I considered normal, you know, a a family culture of drinking, not heavy drinking, not alcoholism, but just this is what we did. And drinking socially starting in high school and, you know, but never being anything that I considered you know, out of control. Um, when I was graduated from, from college, I moved out to California to to go to, to my first graduate school program and ended up, you know, getting this degree and then getting in a relationship, buying a house, getting a dog, adopting a daughter, you know, over the course of a number of years. And um, slowly, as I look back, seeing that when I was in situations of difficult like very stressful situations, emotional challenges, like with work, relationships, those are like the two big ones. Um, Those are times with that I started drinking more, using um, alcohol to numb out, to not have to think about 
the situation, not have to deal with with this with the people in my life. And um, that so that became a solution for quite a long time. And eventually that situation, you know, I evolved out of that relationship, which was very, very difficult um, situation. I was with a partner who was much, much older than I was. And I just felt like my voice was never heard that, you know, my gifts, my dreams, my desires were never honored or like at all. So when I, um, when I left that relationship, we had a daughter and ended up having shared custody. And the times that I did not have her um, started becoming very much drinking days. And because I was so heartbroken that I was not, that I was not with her all the time because my goal in life had always been to be a parent and now I'm a parent and now I have to um, not be with her for part of the week. So that, that was, that was, so hard for me. So those days became, you know, getting drunk and, you know, isolating myself and just doing, um, you know, staying in that, in that environment. And then when she was with me, I, I did still drink, but not, not to extremes. And, um, so I eventually got married And my daughter was about nine and getting married at, I think I was 39 and starting a life with this person. It was a lot more difficult than I ever imagined. You know, imagine that I've got a a nine-year-old kid. I'm almost 40 and I'm getting married and, and trying to do this thing. And I had no idea what, what to do, how to be. And, um, and so I started drinking to cover my anxiety and that, that marriage, um, it just, it caused me so much anxiety and I never knew quite what was going to happen, what kind of mood my husband was going to be in, you know, things happened in the relationship that are, you know, I'm not going to get into them, but just very big challenges that, um, you know, we would threaten each other with divorce every other day. And so I was probably drunk for five years of that marriage. You know, I don't know if I ever saw him sober, except when I woke up in the morning and then I was usually, usually hung over. Um, so we tried the, um, the geographical cure about seven years ago, his comp- my husband's company moved, relocated to the Cincinnati area. And so we, and I was happy and I'm from here and my family is all in this area. And so I was very, very happy to relocate back home. And um, so we did that and I wanted to go. I mean, I was very ready to go, but I had to give up my career. I gave up my community. I gave up my friends Mm -hmm. and, you know, we had this great little uh, community you know, the kids walked to school, rode their bikes. The moms all were together in the backyards or, in, you know, drinking and kids were playing. That was our life. And I was really, really happy and really secure. And I loved my girlfriends. And so, but I said, okay, I'm willing to make this move because, you know, I would like to be closer to my family and my brothers and their kids. Um, 
so when we did move, um, my daughter, Jessica, she had school. My husband had his work. And I got to know my inner alcoholic, basically. You know, it became a, I was isolated. I wasn't working. And so I was kind of party on with myself, just me and my wine. And that's pretty much what happened. And I was still feeling a lot of anxiety. You know, that didn't change when we moved, which I really hoped it would. But it didn't. Um, so I just, I kept on. And um, it didn't get any better. It became not fun. It was just something I did. You know, it was, I just, I felt that it was expected that I drank. Yeah. You know, it was, ex- yeah. it was expected that, you know, when we, when we drank together and, um, you know, but he always had a, a limit, you know, and would kind of say, well, why don't you just stop with me now? And I would get very, very offended. Like, don't you tell me what to do. You know, <laughs> I'm in charge of this. You know, um, and so he got to the point where he would never speak to me about it because he didn't want to deal with my, my negativity and my very defensiveness over what I was doing. And after a while, you can't, it becomes so entangled that you, you can't figure out what is causing what, like is, you know, is the anxiety causing me to drink more? Is my drinking causing the anxiety? Is this, you know, um, affecting my marriage? Is am I drinking because of, of, because my marriage sucks? You know, you just can't untangle it. Exactly. It was all intertwined there. Um, but what was getting worse was as the older I got, the worse my hangovers got. And so I felt like shit basically all the time. Mm, Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) You know, I always had a headache. A few times a week I was puking my guts out. I couldn't, I had a little part-time job that I, you know, went to or called off of because I just, I couldn't function. Um, And so that did not get any better. That kept getting worse and worse. And I never tried to stop drinking and I never tried to moderate my drinking. But what I tried to do was to manage what I was eating and what I was drinking because I was, I thought I could find this perfect, you know, recipe that would give me my buzz that I wanted, but yet wouldn't make me sick. Mm -hmm. And never really found that recipe yeah I don't think yeah. it exists yeah it doesn't well exist. and I was yeah I was the same way it was like I'm just not doing it right I'm not drinking right like I couldn't f- I didn't think that not drinking was an option for me <laughs> I just right. thought I needed to figure it out and needed to, to drink better exactly and that's what I thought it's just I need to drink better I need to you know don't buy the cheap stuff, buy the more expensive stuff or, and then by the end I was drinking the complete cheap rock gut that existed. Um, we had like a little dollar general near us and they actually had wine there. Bad, bad idea to buy wine from dollar general. Um, but that's what I started doing cause I could walk there. Yeah. So. I, get that. I, I think, I think that, I mean, when we look back, right, so when you start looking back at what you did to drink the way you wanted to, 
I mean, that, and I didn't even, I wouldn't even have any self-awareness during that time, Sorrel. So did you, I mean, you were just doing what you're doing, right? You're like, I'm existing. I, I, this is what I do. Exactly. I was, and I, I knew that, that's, that I needed to make a change. I knew, like, there was something in the back of my mind that says, yeah, I think at some point I'm going to get myself ready to think about stop, stopping to drink which makes no sense. It's sort of like uh, elaborate, you know, excuse. Yeah. But what I did do is I decided to go back to school. I said, something is wrong with my life. I have to make a change. I have to do something. I know I'll go get another master's degree. <laughs> so that I t- took on as a solution and started that program and met some people and I knew that this was not a program that I was ever really going to use in a, my professional life. I just had to do something. Yeah. And um, what was the program, so, Sorrel? What was the program? It was it was a, a master's in human resource development at Xavier. Okay. And it was a, a cohort weekend program. So you went um, one weekend every month or so. And I enjoyed it because, I mean, I love learning and it was, you know, a connection to other people and and I was really longing for that since I had moved but that didn't um help me stop drinking I just kept right on going right on going what did you get your first master's degree in I was just curious um I got a master's of divinity oh okay yeah so I was uh my first career I was a catholic youth minister for 14 years Sorrel, I'm learning all kinds of things about you today. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, that was my, um, yeah, I did that in Alameda, California. I was going to ask, there's a program over here, right? Like, yeah, okay. Now, you live, did you live near me? Like, I lived, um, I lived in Oakland and then I lived in Alameda. Okay, so, okay, but not too far. I worked in Alameda. Okay, gotcha. Well, Okay, that's that's fascinating. Okay, I'm sorry, we interrupted yeah. you. <laughs> no, it's okay. it's okay. That's what we do. So, so that's just how it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. So basically, I guess I'll just tell the short version of like my last big drunk, and it was one of those days. I remember it well. It was um, Memorial Day weekend of 2015, and I just had this grand old party with myself. And I drank and I drank and drank and finished this bottle and this bottle and went on to something else. And it was 2 a.m. And my family was all in bed. And I was up and I was talking on the phone with some old friends from California. And um, I just was slurring my words. And I just I remember saying, yeah, you know, I just this is all I do is drinking. And I went to bed that night. And I felt so sad, Mm. like this has to stop. And I woke up the next morning with the worst hangover of my life. I had promised, drunkenly promised my daughter and her friends that I would pick them up from school that day. And I was still drunk when I went to get them. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I picked them up and they're like, oh, hey, can you take us out for food? And I said, no, I have to go home and puke. And that's all I could do. I needed, I got, went home, I'm puking out the side of the door, car door. So embarrassing. Mm. Um, this yeah. car, you know, these girls, teenage girls. And 
that day I looked at myself in the mirror and I hated what I saw. You know, I was puffy eyes, wrinkles. Um, I hated myself. And I had one local friend who I had met through this um, graduate program. And I called her up and I said, I'm an alcoholic, I'm killing myself and I need help. Mm. And she's not sober, she's not, but she was the only person, like I just felt like I couldn't reach out to my family for this. I needed somebody on the outside. And, and so I called her and she helped me find a, um, a treatment center to go in and get an assessment. And the next week I started an um, outpatient IOP, intensive outpatient program, and started this new, very difficult journey um, into sobriety. Wow. Yeah. Sorrel, I'm just crying over here. That's, that's a hard realization, right? Oh, yeah, because I had never said that word alcoholic out loud. Um, a, a, a couple of years prior, I had actually gone to the library and gotten the book Drinking a Love Story. Yeah. And, re- and I read it. And this is a familiar story. Lots of women I've heard that did this. Mm-hmm. Read it in secret. And it freaked me out how much I identified with it that I took it back and said, nope, we're not going to think about that right now. <laughs> right. Let's oh, yeah. Shut that on. curtain <laughs> tight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So, um, but then didn't think about that again until the summer of um, 2015 when I started the, the journey. And I went, so I went to treatment. It was a six-week program. And I really don't remember much of what that, what happened. I know there was education and group process and I was in such a fog that I, I, I liked it because it gave me something to do. It was a routine. Um, and you weren't allowed to drink. So I was somehow able to stay, um, stay sober. Switched yeah. off that process. Mm. So when you're in an outpatient um, program, right, you get to go home at night? Is it just like you go during the day or, or, or did you go in the evenings or how does that work? I'm not familiar. It with was that. it was um, three days a week for three hours. So I went on um, Monday, Wednesday and Thursday mornings okay. for three hours. And then in addition to that, there was you had to go to two um, support group meetings, mm-hmm. you know, whether that was AA or SMART or. Um, another program like that. And then there was also meeting with your counselor a few times throughout the program. Sorrel, I'm curious because, you you know, we hear when we meet women in sobriety, we hear two versions of, of the story of getting sober. You know, one is I experienced relief and a pink cloud immediately, or the other story is, it really sucked for a while. And a lot of times that has to do with pause, you know, post acute, uh, withdrawal syndrome or symptoms or whatever that, that acronym stands for. Um, which, which one did you, I'm curious which one you experienced. Oh, it sucked for a long time. Mm. It was incredibly painful. Um, I remember just uh, going to the, the IOP and then coming home and I was exhausted 
So I, yeah. would sleep, I would sleep. And I really think that most of that summer, I would come home from that program and I would sit on the couch and I would play Candy Crush on my phone. And that's all I was able to do. And um, I just, I know I did other things, but I don't remember a whole lot of it. And I yeah. definitely, I definitely went through the pause symptoms and as I learned in treatment is that this will come back to you every 30 days or so. And I, the first few months I would always be really surprised. Like, why do I feel like crap again? Right. Uh, my brain is foggy again. I thought I was feeling so good. Oh yeah. Let's look back on that stuff. Yeah. This is my brain is still healing. My body is still healing. Um, and I don't think I started getting any kind of like pink cloud until I got a sponsor and really decided that I was going to try AA. And that took me um, about four months to, to make that choice, to really say I'm, I'm sober. Because what happens, I went through my treatment program and I knew I wasn't drinking, but I said, this doesn't seem like it. There has to be more than this. I'm yeah. still agitated. I'm still so frustrated. Everyone is still pissing me off. And I had been to enough meetings where I'd heard stories. And these folks didn't seem like that was their reality still. Right. They're and, all telling you, don't quit before the miracle happens. Right. You're like, fuck it's, you. Yeah, where's this fucking miracle? <laughs> I've got a, you know, a 15-year-old daughter. And, you know, she's driving me crazy. My husband's gone. All, I mean, so... I didn't know, but I knew there had to be something more to it. And so I just said I had met this woman. Actually, I met her at my very first meeting and had seen her a couple of other meetings and knew her name. And I found her number and I called her up and I said, will you be my sponsor? And that was the beginning of this amazing um, relationship that completely, absolutely, completely changed my life. And I am forever indebted to her. She's my best friend. Mm. Um, I, every time I talk to her, I feel like I learned something new. Yeah. Even today. She's not my sponsor anymore, but we're still very, very close friends. And she took, started me on the, through the steps. And I was a hard sell. You know, I had a lot of problems with AA and didn't buy into it. You know, and I just, she just, she just kept saying, just keep doing it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know why it works, but it does. And she let, but she let me ask all the questions. She let me be the doubter. She let me, you know, write my own prayer. She let me have my own um, opinions on things. Not that she let me, but that was kind of who I was. And she accepted me from, yeah. from where yeah. she allowed that. it and didn't, yeah. yeah, didn't reprimand you or tell you you were doing it wrong. Right. And when I read the big book, I'm like, I hate this. This is ridiculous. I hate this old language. I, you know, well, my heart has changed now. Yeah. And, and I see value in so many parts of the program and and really, it was the process of working through the steps that completely transformed the way I think, the way I act, the way I respond um, to situations in my life. Yeah. 
I couldn't agree with you more, Sorrel. Like, I feel like those first four months, I feel like uh, I want to ask you. So you were going to meetings, but you were thinking, like, what is everybody, why does everybody seem like they have something I don't have, right? Like, that feeling. Yes. I, I felt that, too. And so I think sometimes, um, you know, for some people who go to meetings, they're like, oh, it's not for me, which it, maybe it's not. You know, I totally get that. But right. also the meetings aren't aren't the trick I don't think right like they're like this nice supplemental little thing you get like oh other people who get it but it is working with a sponsor and it is working the 12 steps that help me change the way I operate in this world and so I think that's why I have a respect and reverence I may not want to go to all the meetings in the world right now I don't actually um I'm taking a little break from how much I go but I will forever be grateful for those 12 steps and and you know, yesterday I had to make a 10th step amends. And it's like, did I even know that? As soon right. as I do something, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I just did that thing. Now I have to, I need to go apologize for that. Like, I never thought that before. I, that's what I would drink over, the hiding of it. So there's like a, yeah, exactly. a beautiful realization. And, and I, I, yeah, I, um, is, is, is AA, I mean, I've heard this from people I want to ask you in Ohio, is that where it was all founded, right? Yeah, in Akron. Yeah. And you have a, um, I think you have a, a story, right, about your teenage years when you lived in Ohio about Temperance Row? Oh, yeah. Can you um, tell us about that? Yeah. So we lived in Westerville, Ohio, which was the home of the, the Anti-Saloon League. And <laughs> we, there's these four huge, beautiful homes that were built for the president, vice president, secretary, and treasury treasurer of that program. And we actually lived in one of those houses. And I lived there all through my teenage years. And it's just funny to me now because that didn't really mean a whole lot then. Right. But to think now where my, my journey has taken me back to, you know, the, those roots and not drinking. and Yeah. And, so that was, it's just kind of, and now there's plaques all over the Westerville and, you know, honoring that history of that place. Well, when you write yeah. your book, Sorrel, that's where you're going to start. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'll definitely have to start it. <laughs> An anti-saloon league. I like that. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, so uh, we should probably, I mean, we have so much to talk to you about because you are a as Sandra coins the phrase, like a, a multi-passionate person, right? Like you, you are a creator, you are a maker, um, you are an artist. So can we, can we start with a few of the things that like, what are you most, what are you working on right now? Or what are you most passionate about right now that you're making? Oh, good question. Um, well, at, really right at this moment, I'm kind of in between projects, but one of the things that I love to do is art quilts. Mm. And that's because I don't like to follow rules or patterns or doing things in the traditional way of quilting, you know. So I just kind of make up my own patterns and my own ideas and I paint on the fabric and I quilt some and then I add embellishments with you know beads or sequins or whatever I have on hand. And so that's something that I I really enjoy. And most recently I was, I made, my parents just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And I made a, a photo quilt with um, family photos of the grandchildren and the, my siblings and I. And that was just a really fun 
thing to be able to put together for them. I, Sorelle, is your mom a quilter or do you guys just share a love of quilts? She is. She's been quilting um, my whole life. So, so my roots in creativity really go back to my parents. You know, they, my mom always, we had like a six foot tall weaving loom in our living room uh, when I was a kid and she would oh, wow. do weaving and spinning and, you know, fiber arts of that nature. And she sewed our clothes for us. And uh, my dad as well, he took a, um, a leather making class when I was probably you know, seven or eight. And he actually made our shoes for us until we got to be teenagers and says, Shut I know we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, really? it's really, it's really funny. He would trace our feet and he'd sew and make these homemade shoes for us. That and, is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, until it was. I mean, looking cool, back, yeah. looking back, it's cool, right? But I'm sure right. it, it, when you were a kid, you're like, "Can we just please go to the mall and get shoes?" Oh my god, yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> but yeah, we were that funny family with the homemade shoes and homemade clothes, and um, but you know, they've continued to evolve in their creativity, and and then. I was always kind of interested in doing that kind of thing as I grew up and, you know, in my twenties and thirties and I had a sewing machine and I dabbled, but it wasn't as a priority because I was so interested in drinking and you can't sew when you're drinking because it's dangerous, yeah. you, know? <laughs> you know, and it's just, you can't get the focus of anything. So when I, when I, when I first stopped drinking, I went, through my um, my room, my creative room, and I finished all these half done projects that I had started over the years, you know, sewing projects and knitting projects, and just finished all this stuff. And so that felt really good, and it just sparked me into wanting to to start doing more. And that's at some point along there, I found out about the uh, Recovery Gals Art Exchange. I think um, Tammy, you might have posted about that. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm interested in that. And that became a really big part of creativity and recovery for me. Mm. Um, it gave me the, the courage to create kind of out loud, not just for myself and something I'm going to, you know, keep at home, but to create something for someone else and to, to share about it um, on a blog. I, I never had a blog until the uh, Recover Gals Art Exchange, and I okay. said, "Well, I need to start a blog so that I can share my uh, my pieces there." And it's it, I expanded it out to include other things, but that's where it started. I love it. And, and so that process has just been um, essential to my creativity and recovery. And the process of making something for that other person, so I am being of service yeah. while I'm being creative, and I'm getting in touch with you know my own feelings and desires around that theme as well as then handing it off to another person. So I feel like a little piece of me goes to each of these women that I've exchanged with. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. it seems like service is, is just a really big part of your recovery, which it is for, you know, a lot of people. I think that that I can, um, 
I get that from you a lot, Sorrel. And again, your consistency and, and you're kind of like this um, North Star, you know, with the Recovery Gals Art Exchange and with our Gratitude Circle. <laughs> you know, you are. You're very reliable. You're very inspirational. You're extremely you. creative. So we, that's like when we wanted to, when we were talking about our summer series, I'm like, we got to talk to Sorrel. And Sandra's like, of course we have to talk to Sorrel. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a no brainer. Um, so you really, you really help inspire others too, Sorrel, with all your service and also with your sobriety. You're very strong, um, your story, you know, and just how you're living your life. Um, yeah, yeah. You have a certain, you have this follow through that's, that's, I mean, I, it's very attractive. I think a lot of women, I'm sure, look to you and want what you have. So, yeah, that's um, yeah. you know, and that's that's something that I didn't have before. The follow through, yeah. you know, I didn't I didn't know how to keep my word. I didn't know how to. I had all these desires, but I never was able to do it. You know, I always wanted to write, and. And I always tried to find, and Sandra, we've talked about this before, is trying to find that place where you're just buzzed enough where the creative energies mm -hmm. can flow out of you onto the page. Mm -hmm. It lasts for like a minute. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe five if you're lucky. Yeah, and then it's, it's oh, wait, I got to keep this buzz going and oh, well, forget about it. I don't know what I was writing anyway. Right, and, and so to have that, I mean, and we, I mentioned about the the journals when I was keeping a, a diary journal since I was eleven years old, and That's and those amazing. are pure gifts. I mean, oh, I went yeah. back and have reread most of those, and it's just amazing to see my life unfold that way, and but also to see where I didn't write when I didn't write to have these gaps. And I can see, you know, the, the alcoholism taking hold mm -hmm. and not wanting to write anymore. And so that's another piece that in my recovery, I have been able to reclaim my writing side and just doing that. And sometimes it's just journaling and sometimes it's more creative. Sometimes it's the blog. And that's definitely a piece of, of my story that I am so glad that I've been able to get back. I think by, I mean, so you have all your journals, right? I'm, I'm very intrigued by all the journals that you have. Um, 30 of them since age 11. I mean, that's beautiful. I never wrote in a journal because I never really wanted to get found out. I mean, I had a little diary, I think, for a spell that had a lock on it when I was little, but that was not a way that I channeled anything. Um, I was always afraid that somebody was going to read it. So um, it wasn't until about a year before I got sober that I started journaling. Um, and But I would write at night, like secretly. You know, I had a blog. I've had a blog for 11 years. Um, for, for a good eight years, you know, nobody read it. But it was a place I deposited things. And so I'm curious because, I mean, Sandra's a writer and you're telling this, this about the writing that you're doing. It's kind of like I feel like this proof of life exercise. Um it stresses me out to write, but it, I also don't want to lose the memory. So I'm always trying to like document. I'm trying, I'm like the documenter for our family, like a family yeah. historian in a way. I know it's only my perspective, but I like that, that you, um, I like that you started a blog just for the art exchange and that you, that you have a place where you yeah. can deposit those writings, right. To save them. Yeah. Um, but through your physical manifestations, what I want to talk about the physical journal. So where do you keep those? So I, 
freed them from their box in the closet actually just this summer. You released wanted, them. <laughs> I released them and now they're on a shelf right next to my desk and I see them every day because oh. I just, there was something about that. I wanted them to be closer to me. Yeah. And you know, the, the first few years, you know, when I was an early teen, you know, they're cute little fabric bound books that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you can still buy those, but, and then they turned over to be more, you know, um, spiral bound, mm-hmm. you know, cheaper just to write in. And I, I like what you said about kind of the proof of, of life, because yeah. I was always a very quiet, shy kid and I didn't have a ton of friends. And I think that really was my way of communicating everything I was feeling and everything I was doing. I could recreate my wardrobe from the 80s based on my journals. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, it's hilarious. Oh, I'm so jealous every, of this. Yes. Every new outfits, every Christmas gift I received is all documented. That's amazing because I have I have a few journals and diaries from when I was a kid as well, but um, I tend to write about heartbreak a lot, you know that kind of thing, unrequited love. <laughs> but right. um, I wasn't ever consistent, and I wish I I, I wish I would have been. I miss I'm i you know miss those missing chunks for sure. Well, I um, I did write about the heartbreak and the rest of that stuff too. But it's as I got older that I, you know, that I started writing more about that, and I started writing about spiritual experiences and um, just all kinds of stuff is in there. It's like it's like a so even so. T- yesterday I spent several hours writing, and I was like, I don't. It's hard when I'm um, when I'm thinking about writing. That's hard to just think about it. <laughs> but when I you just got to do it, right? But when you do it, when I'm done with it, when I've when I've cataloged this thing that I can save, and I went back yesterday and was reading old things that I'd written, I was like, I'm so glad I wrote because I forgot, I've forgotten. And um, I think there's this. Um, let me grab it. There's this beautiful quote I have on my wall in here in the studio, and it says, uh, "Memory is always reinventing history. Memory is how we see." history in the present day and I guess I'm always trying to remember things you know it's like I'm holding on tight it's the way I'm kind of holding on and it's how I can loosen my grip a little bit as if I can get it down on paper or on the computer you know that it's there that it's just sitting there hey unruffled listeners just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced over a year's worth of content and have over a quarter million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing, you can be a patron of this show for as much as you'd like, even if it's just a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. Do you do morning pages, Sorrel? I'm curious. I don't. No. Yeah, I don't either. Um, yeah. I mean, I've I've thought about it, but right now I'm kind of in and I want to talk a little bit about this this whole new chapter in my life that's kind of unfolding as I start this new career. Yeah, let's talk and about that. I just I so 
after I had about a year of sobriety, I decided that I really wanted to give back because I had received so, so many gifts from my treatment program and the aftercare program that I went on to facilitate in that um, aftercare program. And I said, you know, I want to do this. I want to give back to other people. And so I went back to school and got the, the classes I needed to become a chemical dependency counselor. And I just started my job in this in um, early May. And I'm actually working at the same organization that I went to treatment at. So it was one of those full circle moments that my counselors became my colleagues. And now we work together and um, it's, it's, the, it's just amazing. It's a miracle. Of That's sobriety. so cool, Sorrel. It, it really is. And I learn something from these women every single day. And just so it's but it's a hard too. you know, I'm 48 years old and I'm starting a new career and I have to remember all these details. And it's it's hard. My my it's taking me longer to learn things than it used to. And so that can be a little frustrating. And I have to remember to give myself grace around this, that just have been doing this a few months. It's not time for you to have mastered everything. It's never time, probably, for that. <laughs> right. right. That's, <laughs> so that's the teacher. The way, I, the way I would like to. So I have that, the new career. Uh, my daughter graduated from high school and is about to go off to college this month. Wow. Oh, so See, many big things. We'll have Exciting. an empty nest. Empty nester yeah. is what I hear that is called. Yes, empty nest, and it's really exciting, but it's also scary. And um, and then we have my husband and I, and I just wanted to, to say that our relationship is amazing now. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the challenges and, and fears and anxieties that that we went through, when I went into recovery, he started to trust me again because I started to be trustworthy. Yeah. I practiced rigorous honesty. I made amends to him. Um, I told him about my process of recovery. I'm sure I told him things he didn't even want to know about, but, but I was present with him and that has made all the difference. And I know that I hear a lot from women, just their struggles with their relationships. And, and my, what I can just say about that is that it takes time. Time takes time and that it didn't happen in the first year. It didn't even happen in the second year, but it's something that I'm living, both of us are living now together. Yeah. And, and it takes work. It takes constant work. I, you know, yeah, I, I there, that's the thing. I, I think that, I think we're surprised sometimes that our relationships or marriages take work, but they, but they do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I would agree with you with that, Sorrel. I would say, I mean, I'm approaching three and a half years tomorrow, and um, it's been about three years to kind of work out some big hurts, you know, and resentments. And, um, you know, I could could make amends and say sorry, but that doesn't mean the other person's just going to, like, flip a switch and be like, cool. Right. Glad you neglected us for for a good decade. Really? That's just, oh, no, they need time to process that and um, that's not for everybody I know and maybe you know I don't know their stories but you're right that it's it's taking like you said time takes time 
And um, that's for our recovery. That's for our bodies. I just think in the beginning of early sobriety, for me, I wanted everything immediately. Like I always wanted, you know, that instant gratification. I wanted it with sobriety too. It was like, okay, I've changed my mind. I'm a, I'm a taskmaster. So clearly I stopped drinking. I should be, you know, let's move on here. That's not the case. (laughs) Exactly. And I remember, yeah. Right. I remember so many conversations with my sponsor, you know, about that. And why is this not happening yet? I want this. I want, and it's, you got to work for it too. It's not, it's not just going to happen. Yeah. You know, you have to, and and I'll tell you, and I'm going to, I'll tell the story um, because it was such a a pivotal moment in, in my marriage. Just, you know, I had made amends to him as part of my um, ninth step at, you know, I was, I was not even a year sober yet when that happened. Mm-hmm. And cause I was, you know, I went to the steps and I, I did that and it was very meaningful and it was accepted and whatever. Then about a year and a half later, without using those same words, my husband actually made amends to me mm-hmm. for the stuff that we had gone through together. And he didn't use the language, but that's exactly what he did saying, you know, and it was, it was like, we were crying and this, you know, I'm sorry that I, you know, didn't have, basically I didn't have the tools that I have now and we're better people now. Mm-hmm. And it's made such a difference. It doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean that he, we never get on each other's nerves, but it means that we're, we're, we're in it together and we're here to stay. Mm-hmm. And that's not something I always felt. Right. That's got to feel so, I mean, that's, that's some of the promises, right? That you get those ninth step promises, like these yeah, things start yeah. getting better in our lives. And I think, um, right. With our marriages and our relationships, you know, we don't delve into that too much here on this show just because, you know, it's private and there's another person involved, right. but, right. but I can, you know, honestly say there's just a shift that starts happening and it's, and it's been a really super duper slow shift. And, right. and I think that's the way it's supposed to be. And, uh, I and uh, yeah, yeah, we got to grow into it for sure, for sure. And, um, I, I, I was, I mean, think about it if, if my husband like went to these, went, started going to meetings with strangers, you know, four days a week, or if he started, um, meeting, you know, half a dozen people for tea every week that I have no idea who they are, um, if he started changing before my eyes, I would be like, that would be a little unsettling. Um, even though it's for the good and even though I, you know, I'm seeing good things happen, you know, it would be hard. So I, I see like I'm his, his partner's rolling out of bed when it's dark and going off and doesn't come home for two or three hours. And it's gotta be a little curious. Like, where's she going? What is she doing? What is happening right. to my wife? <laughs> right. Um, but, exactly what happened. So I appreciate I appreciate his grace, like to just let me go do that stuff because uh, he doesn't ask a whole lot of questions. And in early sobriety, I was like, "Why isn't he asking more? Doesn't he want to know what I'm doing?" Oh, I'm so grateful now that he doesn't. I just come home. I don't have to talk about it because I shared with other people, and he gets the best of me. I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think you nailed it, Sorrel, when you when you said it was it's about building trust again because that's exactly what it what it what it is. That's what it was for me, um, for sure. You know, I could be a person that was trustworthy again, and um, 
you know, beautiful things unfold from there. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, like you said, Tammy, he doesn't, he doesn't have to know every little thing I'm doing for my recovery. Uh, he doesn't have time for that, but he just knows that whatever I'm doing, he can trust it. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, trust. I wasn't very trustworthy. Um, I call it my old life now, but yeah, in my old life. So, oh, I'm glad you shared that, Sorrel, because that's important. You know, we get a lot of ladies asking us to chat about marriage and it's a tricky thing. So we don't ever want to delve too far down and make our guests uncomfortable if they don't want to talk about it. But I think sharing that nugget there, um, you know, that is hope. And that is it is. And that's why I like, that's why I'd like to share that because I think it does give hope. Um, it just takes time. Yeah. Um, so I want to, Sandra, do you, I know we don't want to get too far away from this before. I know you wanted to chat about the photographs that Sorrel Oh yeah, I'm just curious, Sorrel, tell me about this. Okay. Because, and the reason why I'm curious is because my mom, a couple of years ago, my grandma on her, so my maternal grandma, um, was the keeper of of the photographs from our family and, and they, you know, we have some that, that date back to the 1800s. I don't even know who some of the people are. I can't identify them. And I wish that I had sat down with my grandma before she passed. Um, so that she could tell me who some of these people are, but regardless, I'm, I am now the keeper of the photographs. And I finally went through them, uh, this summer actually and kind of uh, sort of organized them a bit um but i i just love them they're treasures i i don't know what i'm gonna do with them except just hang on to them you know i i feel like even though i can't identify everyone they still mean something to me and i love just staring at them and making up my own stories about them and um i want to hear about your 20,000 photographs. Well, it's, it really started when I was uh, probably in high school or middle school. So I started keeping everything. And so, you know, if I went to a concert or a So like little play, scrapbook things? So I, yeah, so I, it started out that way. So I have all these scrapbooks of things. I mean, I have programs of things my brothers were in in, in second grade. They don't even remember, but I have this program to prove it. And, you know, I even have, you know, programs from weddings and funerals of people that I don't even remember. And so kind of that's how it started. And then as I got older and got interested in photography, so I started taking lots of pictures. And I always, always saved every picture, even if it was the worst, you know, out of focus blob thing. And I have all these photograph albums that are full of of those, those kinds of old photos. And then we have the advent of, you know, digital photography and cataloging them. So on my computer, I have everything organized by season and by year. So I've got, you know, summer going back as far as I can, summer of, you know, all the way up to now, summer of, you know, 2018. And I just keep it all organized. And so I was at my, my parents also have a lot of photographs. And so I've been 
it's it's overwhelming to to do it all at once. So I've just been starting to scan the photos that they have and some of the other kinds of ephemera that they have, cards and uh, memorabilia and such. Because I just, I don't know, I love that stuff and I love keeping the, the stories and telling the stories and remembering, you know, what, what, what happened. Um, one of the first things, my, my, my daughter um, is adopted. And so to start a family through the miracle of adoption is very different than, you know, through biological means. And one of the first major things I created for her was this scrapbook of the first day we met and pictures and places that we went early on and teaching her how to you know, play and all that kind of stuff. So we have a, a scrapbook of that hmm. and, a, you know, a scrapbook of her adoption day and just keeping those those memories um, for her which is really for me <laughs> um, right. and, and that. So I just have, I'm very dedicated to my, um, my photography project. Every a season I'll go through my phone and upload everything onto my computer. And I just, I keep it organized and, you know, I've got it backed up in like three places. So I'm paranoid something's going to happen to it. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, I'm going to channel some of you. I need to channel some of you, Sorrel. So I'm like okay. a fake organized person. Um, okay. <laughs> I have I have certain things I'm really organized about. But when it comes to photos, like my husband, he, he was like, Tammy, you've got to organize those. You have to download them. You have to store them. So you have to get that under control. I'm like, I need them because they help me remember things. So it's like I want them on my computer, but it, it like bogs down my computer. But I like to go especially when I'm writing, I'm a visual writer. So I need, I go back and look at photos to help remind me of a memory and then that'll help me write. Um, but you are like, if there is, um, like you are like the proof of life queen. That is your, your, your reign is that, yeah, that you, you definitely, that's like a big important thing to you. I love it. It is. Yeah. What is your um, sign? What is your astrological sign, Sorrel? Not that I know much about this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, well, my birthday is May 13th. So Taurus. Taurus. Okay. Yeah. I'm acting like I know what that means. I don't really, I don't really know what that means. So yeah, I don't curious. really know much about that either. Uh, um, so I'm going to look that up. Well, you're just like a, you're just an archivist is what you are. And you, yeah. you in another life, you could have, you know, worked at the Getty or something. I bet as an, <laughs> as an archivist, because like yeah, it's like, you're really good at that. There, I mean, I have things. Like, I have my um, the the storybooks that my dad had when he was a boy in the '40s. I have those books. Um, I I had just have books that I read as a as a small child, you know, with with and those things are so important to me. They're children's books and chapter books. And um, one of the creative projects that my husband and I did this winter is we we redid our um, living room. And into a library and so we made these built-in bookshelves and so to have all that stuff in one room is is just so meaningful to me I love to go in there and I meditate in there and listen to my records and look at these old books and um so yeah that's that's something I just really love um 
And this is something that that you have found. This is a love that you have found and, and now you're cultivating in sobriety, which I think is such an important point because, I mean, I know that you have many you have multiple passions, you have many things you love, but it's so important to find something that just really fills you up when you get, when you get sober. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I had those things, but I didn't have them in a, in a way that was meaningful, Mm, I guess, you know, I may have had boxes of photos or things, but, but now they're meaningful and now they're organized and now they do and, and it's, and it's a gift to my family, yeah. you know? So, you know, I talk to my mom about a memory and I, and a half hour later can send her photos from that day and that experience, mm. you know, like, Oh yeah. Remember this, remember this. Well, so. you get to honor it. It seems like you get to honor it. So it's not just tucked away in a box in the attic or, you know, you, you bring more meaning to it by how you're honoring your family. And again, once again, Sorrel, you're being of service to them, right. By oh. kind of being the keeper of these things. Yeah, that's how I, that's how I like to look at it is the keeper of the stories, the keeper of the. Your family's going to be really grateful. And I'm sure Jessica, I'm sure Jessica's going to be grateful. She has, didn't you do a really big project for her graduation? Like for her? I, yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah. So all throughout her high school years, I saved everything. Now she's in choir and she's been in a variety of programs. So I just, every time we went to an event, I would put this program or these tickets in a box and then I created this whole high school, this huge book of um, photographs, programs, pictures with her friends, mm. family events, trips. That Sorrel, can you be my mom, please? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I know she'll appreciate it more when she's a little bit older. For sure, you know? for but sure. That was such a um, heart-rendering yeah. experience. Because I had her whole high school life on this this table for weeks to put it together and to figure out how I wanted to organize it. And it meant so much to me to be able to do that. And um, and I, I don't know, I never would have been able to do that if I wasn't sober because yeah. I wouldn't have had been mindful enough to keep everything. Yeah. And, um, or it would have been fits and starts, right? You know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Right. But yeah, I remember seeing pictures of it laid out. I don't know if it was on the desk or on the floor. Um, but when you were trying to put that all together and you'd shared with us in the gratitude circle, and it was like, it was amazing what you were doing. Um, and I imagine it was really the- beautiful for, I mean, for Jessica, but also your process, right? Of, of oh, yeah. I imagine it's really hard to see your child graduate and get ready to go off to college. Um and that you're present for all of this, Sorrel. Yeah, it's not lost on you, I'm sure. Or your daughter. Right. Well, and that's one of the things when we talk about filling the void um, that alcohol used to fill was, you know, she was uh, 15 when I stopped drinking. And so she didn't need me in the same way as a little kid kid did or would. But she did need me. Yeah. And I was able to be present so much more to her during those last three years of high school than I ever was her first year. Her first year of high school was, you know, the height of my drinking. And I made some really poor choices and I'd let her do things that I regret. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, going forward from there, you know, she didn't always like me, but I was present with her. And 
was seeing all the things that she was doing, the good, the bad, the indifferent. And, you know, and that is such a gift, you know, that I was, I was there present and um, to fill, to fill time, not, not just time, but, but space and spirit and, you know, being aware when I think she needed me to step in and knowing when to stay out of it. Yeah. So so that you can have that presence and and you can make those decisions and be conscious. Um, It's been interesting. I mean, to be, I'm I'm grateful as well. My son was 11. Um, But now that he's in high school, you know, he's going into his sophomore year. Even like last night, we got home from picking him up from somewhere. And, um, you know, he comes in my room close to midnight, which I'm never up near midnight. And he was like, "Um, can I do this thing tomorrow with this person who I don't know? Who, do, who doesn't go to his school. And I was like, I'm going to need a parent's phone number, you know, just that little act. Whereas before I would have been sure, whatever. Right. <laughs> and, I'm like, and, and, and I'm like, I'm going to need a phone number. And he didn't roll his eyes and he did, because we've done it an, a long enough now that he's like, yeah, I'll get it for you, mom. Um, I, he's like, I don't know if her parents work, you know, all day. I'm like, well, we'll have to talk about that. Cause you guys might have to hang with me or hang at a, at a public place. But right. the, the way that I parent now is way different than I used to parent. I used to rely on my husband to be the parent on we I used to call it the parent on duty. Like he would be the parent on duty and I would be the one get to do whatever I want, which that's, you know, not very cool. <laughs> um so do uh, is Jessica's getting ready to go off to college. So when does she when does she leave, Sarah? Um the 23rd, 23rd. August 23rd. Are you um are you delivering her to college or is it nearby or how does that work? It's near nearby. It's less than an hour from okay. our house. Oh. And um, so, but she's, she's, she'll be driving, but, you know, we'll be helping her move in and mm-hmm. be nearby, but it's, it's, it's still very emotional yeah. and um, just trying to wrap my mind around her being independent and yeah. letting her go and make all the good choices or not. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. see what happens. So yeah. I'm, I'm so excited for her because I mean, I, I loved going to college. I loved it. Yeah. And I engaged in everything. And, you know, I just hope that she's able to just take in as much learning and new experiences as she, as she can. Yeah. And I think she's pretty lucky to have you, Sorrel. You know? Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's been a journey. Yeah. Um, it's been a journey. And I just, I'm so grateful of for all of it you know of you know how i came to be a mom and the i'm just i'm very blessed and um you know we mentioned the pink cloud earlier how that my life is a pink cloud and it's not like it's always great and always yeah always like that but i the the what i have now is i have solutions and you know, when I do get frustrated or when, you know, things aren't going great with her, when I'm, when I'm living in fear, I have things that I can do that are very concrete that get me through it. You know? I think that's such an important thing to highlight because, you know, getting sober doesn't mean we're all of a sudden going to do life perfectly and we're going to be this perfect parent. <laughs> Not by- at all any stretch, right? We're still, I mean, I still constantly feel like I'm doing it wrong. Um, but 
the difference is you're right now there are solutions now we can at least show up with integrity and and be able to go to bed at night knowing that we're just that we're doing our absolute best that we can do right and i i can walk away now i practice the pause all the time because i know that i will overreact or i will say something that i don't want to so i am perfectly happy to walk away from the situation and come back when I feel more centered. And that has, you know, it makes a difference to your kids, you know, because then they know that you're just not there yelling at them, but that you've, you've walked away and, and now you're calm and you can actually have a conversation with them. And you're modeling that for them, right? You're modeling yes. that. And that's the difference between, I think, re- reacting Versus responding. Like for me, taking that pause is when I can um, walk away and come back with a response. If I'm just reacting, who wants that? I don't like that when people just react to me or when my, you know, if a loved one reacts to me, it's like, no, wait a second, just hear what I'm saying. Maybe ponder it for a minute. You can disagree right. with me, but then, you know, but taking that, taking that moment, super key, Sorrel, you're right. You're right. Um, Sandra, do you have anything else before we kind of move into the toolbox? No, yeah. No, I mean, again, like with all of our friends this summer, we could talk forever because (laughs) you are multifaceted, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, yes. Thank you. Um, It means a lot. Yeah. Well, so so this is the part of the show where we kind of move into um, the unruffled toolbox. And for anyone that's new to the show, that's just um, our way of asking our guests if they have any tools that help them with their sobriety, help them with their creativity. Like what's their go to thing right now? We know it's always changing that helps you stay calm, not agitated, or it's just this really great little thing that you do in your life that you want to share. And we ask you to share like three things um, so that our listeners can can learn from you. What works for you? Okay, well, my first one, and we've already talked about it is gratitude. Hmm. That daily practice of thinking of the things that I'm grateful for today, and how that changed me in early recovery and how it continues to change me because it's a ritual. It's being part of a, a group, a gratitude circle that you know keeps me accountable and also keeps me connected. It keeps me connected to a, a variety of other women and having a sacred space really to share those things that are going on that we're, that we're all grateful for. So that continues to be a grounding point for me in my, in my recovery. And I love how for myself, how it evolved from just writing down five things to having um, artistic expressions of gratitude. You know, when I got brave enough to start painting and illustrating the gratitude. And now I have, I don't know how many of those journals um, full of illustrated, illustrated gratitude that are just a great, like you said before, proof of life, proof that I'm doing this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're my soul so soul sister in that department. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I'm trying. It's sometimes it's it's hard to to stay motivated in it, but somehow I always I always end up back there because that's what um, that's what grounds me. Yeah, it always has three three plus years. So that's my first thing. Okay. Uh, my second thing 
it's it sounds kind of general, but it's community and connection. Um, so first and foremost would be what we call um, our flock, which mm-hmm. is like our tribe, and that's my sponsor and my sponsee and other sponsees, and how we just have this whole network of women who are connected. And that's expands out into the larger AA community of women. And those people, those are my in real life people that have um, helped me get and stay sober, who help each other. And um, it's just invaluable. I can't say enough about my, my real life people. So, I also have the, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying it's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then there's the, the online communities which have been important to me too, the, the Facebook, the secret Facebook groups and, um, you know, including the Recover Gals Art Exchange, which has kind of a touch of both the online and the in-person piece of it. And then of course, you know, this group, the, uh, the unruffled podcast group and the connections that we're able to make there, especially as it focuses on, on the creative piece. I think that's really important um, to to be grounded in those things that we that are solutions, yeah. and that's what I really experienced through the unruffled group. Oh, good, uh, thanks. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. So then, my third thing is I'm just going to call it making. So whatever that is, you know, getting in touch with that creative spirit that's within myself hmm. that. I've kind of always had, but that has re-sparked over the last three years. So making, you know, quilts, the art quilts, writing, making those journal entries or writing those blogs or even writing essays. I really, really just enjoy writing, um, the journaling. Other things that um, that I consider in that making is um, is gardening. You know, is, is one of the things I really enjoy doing. So making a garden, growing vegetables, uh, making pretty flowers, you know, that kind of outdoor um, summertime, springtime that connects me to this place that I live as well. And um, one of the things I also really love to do, and it's it's this is another one of those connecting to family history is is canning. You know, I I spent this last weekend with my mom on her farm, and we canned 200 pounds of tomatoes, and making pasta sauce and just canning tomatoes, and I do jams. And there's something about that process that I just love it. Mm. <laughs> I really want to come with you to your mom's farm and hang out for like a week. I'm not kidding because my grandma, my grandparents and I talk about them all the time, but they were on a, they lived on a self-sufficient farm um, when I was growing up and it was my favorite, most magical place. And my Grandma had this room where you like open these curtains and it was just, you know, floor to ceiling shelves of all of her canned stuff. And yeah. I loved watching her can. Yeah, it's 
it's magical. And I mean, it is. I don't know. I mean, that might sound goofy, but there's just something about, you know, having that and then knowing that, you know. You have all that food and it's yeah. just there. It's just, and, yeah, it's so, and you, and you grew it or, or not, not but, you know, I, I'm assuming that you're, your mom grew it and it's, it's, you know, with the ingredients that are in it and it's, it's nourishment. It's just, it's some, there's is something so cool about that. My right. And I, I, I feel connected to like, like you said, to the grandparents and the, the, the ones who had to do it. I mean, we don't have to can, you know, we can go to the store, and right. do that, but, they, but they had to do that. Yeah. They didn't can what they grew they didn't see their families in the and winter, like, right? In the winter, right. right. Yeah, exactly. And so to have that connection, it just, it just, it feels like a being part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about your mom, but my grandma too, she wouldn't just feed her family. She would feed other families. You know, she was constantly giving away cans of food and, um, you know, no one, no one was hungry ever. Right. Right. Again, service. It's so, it's just, um, yeah, it's it's creative too. It's a creative outlet for sure. You know, and you're making, you're right, Cyril, that third thing, making, it can take all different kinds of forms, which is what we encourage people in the Recovery Gals Art Exchange, right? Just make something. Someone could right. take, could can could could take the theme and 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 can something and ship that off to their partner. It doesn't have to be right. visual arts. It could be culinary arts. We always say too, or any type of art form. But I love that. And and there's community in that. Um, when my 83 year old neighbor came up to teach me how to make blackberry jam because we have a lot of blackberries around us, and um, she would tell me like she would show me how, and then she said, and just so you know, you should never can alone. Like you don't, mm-hmm. and I was like, I can, oh, do, I can do it all by myself. Yeah. I got it all figured out. And she was like, no, no, no. She always can with someone, um, uh, yeah. you know? And yeah. I was like, oh, and I didn't get it until you were just now sharing. I, I get what she meant. It's kind of this mm-hmm. communal thing. It's a community. Right. Right. Almost like me, uh, uh, making a quilt too. Yeah. It's easier to make it with somebody, uh, make a quilt with someone else, especially if you're, you know, quilting by hand, but yeah, it's, stories. um, Right. It's right, those, right. those community things, um, um, you know, I guess it lends to home economics, but those community That's... things that we used to do to sustain ourselves, I, I really, my heart yearns for that. Right. And obviously it's available to me. I need to start canning is what it's I'm trying there. to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, anytime, Sondra, you come on out to Ohio and We'll spend time on the farm and have a great time. I would be in heaven. No Add kidding. this to our world tour, Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> Rural Ohio. Oh, Sorrel, thank you. Do you have? Well, is there anything fun, you want to end with? Well, this one, just related to that that creativity thing is, yeah. you know, I think when I was drinking, I was bored. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I was bored a lot, so I loved to drink. I'm bored, and and I can truly say that I'm never bored unless. Mm-hmm. I choose to be, if right. I say, I'm not going to do much today. I'm, you know, I'm not going to do that, but otherwise I always got something to do. You know, there's always uh-huh. creativity, there's books to read, there's things to write, um, dogs to walk. There's always something to do and I want to do it and I want to engage in all of it. And, um, and so it's just 
it's just a wonderful way to be engaged thoroughly throughout all those pieces, all those pieces of my life. Oh, well, I'm so glad, Sorrel, that you found your way back to yourself because um, I think you're going to be a beautiful example to a lot of women that are listening. So thank you. Um, is there a way that people can find your blog that you can share or your Instagram if you're willing um, so that people can connect and read your work or where, where can they yes, find you? Um, my blog is at, oh, hold on. I Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, I, I had it here. It's okay. It's, it's stitch me a story. Um, dot wordpress.com. Okay. We'll put okay, that in the we'll show. Put that in the sh- then, yeah. And then also, um, my website for the, um, for the business piece, if you want to see some of those creative things that we create is stitch me a story.com. Okay. So just, just that. And then I, my Instagram is just Sorrel McCord, my name. Okay. Sorrel underscore McCord. Great. Well, we'll put that in our, in our show notes and so that people can find you. Um, thank you so much, Sorrel. What a beautiful conversation today. Yes. Thank I Thank you so much, Sorrel. Your recovery is just really, it's really beautiful. I, and I, and I don't, throw that around a lot but it really is it really is something something that i really admire yeah you have thank you sandra you have what i want (laughs) yeah Mm. um and if if anybody wants to read more about sorrel and this was written about a year ago but um i did a ray of light interview series um and sorrel was one of my beautiful rays of light made a little art around her image and she's an interview number 21 and we can link that too um have a beautiful rest of your day sarah thank you tammy thank you sandra i really appreciate this opportunity oh good have a good one all right you too bye-bye the unruffled podcast was created and produced by sandra primo and tammy solace Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.